All right, at this time we can have the children dismissed. Those third grade and under may be dismissed for junior church at this time. Um, it's always a blessing to have our missionaries come uh, and just share with us. Um, that way we continue to see what God's not just doing here at North Anvil Bible Church, but what God's doing around the world. So we are privileged to have Jerry and Vivian Rogers. He told me not to say Dale and, <laughs> and Roy, right? Roy and... All right, I got it right, though. It was Jerry and Vivian. So, Roger's with us. Um, I asked him last time he was here. He said 1949, so I laughed. I thought he was joking, but he didn't laugh. So, it may have been that long. So, um, But before they come up, let me just remind you that uh, the Missions Committee has put together uh, an Adopt-A-Missionary program. There are pamphlets or or sheets of paper back there with information about that. So please pick one of those up, take that home, consider supporting adopting one of our missionaries. It'll just help us as a church um, be more involved with our missionaries. It'll help us as, as families to be able to contact them and just keep up with them a little bit better and just minister to our missionaries as they minister for God around the world. So just to make sure you keep that in mind as well. Jerry and Vivian, why don't you come and share about your ministry and from God's Word? Make sure I'm wired. There we are. Thank you, Brian, for helping us to worship this morning. Uh, Music's such an important part of what we do in our expression to God, isn't it? The Psalms are full of music, all kinds of different instruments, some that I can't pronounce. And it's, it's all of great value to us as it conditions and prepares our heart for worship. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. It has been a while. I think it was... 2019 member, I, maybe, I get that mixed up with 2049, or 1949, that's a little, I am mixed up, obviously. This is going to go well this morning, I can see that. <laughs> uh, Vivian's just going to bring you up to date a bit on, on the family and uh, our history of our ministry, and then I will uh, go from there with some current things and some, hopefully some challenges to all of us about uh, living a gospel-shaped life in our world today and what that looks like. So, Okay, so we, uh, we have been here not since 1949, but the church has supported us uh, before we went out in 1975. Uh, under Pastor Doug Buchanan, you began supporting us. And, and I can't express enough how much we appreciate... Um, your prayers, your investment in us, your gifts. Um, this is not a one-man show. We all need each other. And so we're very thankful for your support behind us to encourage us and let us know that you're there with us. So thanks a lot for that. <clears throat> He's got control, right? <laughs> you see it? Or you want the next? Yeah. Okay, so we went out with one child and in Grenada came back with two. Tim was born in Grenada. Rebecca was born in Lancaster General. Um, we have five grandchildren. Still. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Slow. <with this. laughs> 
This is almost the first time we've done this, right? <laughs> uh, we, we have five grandchildren, four girls. All the girls are in college from Juniata to Millersville to Lancaster Bible College. Um, our grandson, Luke, is the youngest. He's 16, and he pretty much thinks that the reason you go to school now is so you can play basketball because that has to be a good reason when you're six foot four just to do that. So he enjoys that, and we're really thankful. We're thankful for them. We're thankful for the opportunity the Lord has given us as older people to influence the lives of the younger generation. If it's not our kids, it can be other people's children, but we can bless them. We can encourage them. We can challenge them. We can listen to them how much they want people to just listen to them and hear them where they are and hear their story. It's different than ours, but it's a story, and it's their story, and it's important. So we're just really thankful for that. We went out, and we were commissioned in 75 and 76. We were in Grenada from 76 to 80. In in 80, um, we came home on home ministry, on furlough, and... While we were in Grenada, there was a revolution, and when we returned, the mission would not allow us to return to Grenada. So in eight, from 82 to 90, we were in Barbados, where Jerry taught in the Barbados Bible Institute, uh, had Bible studies in churches um, with individuals and in group, group settings. Um, I did a lot of hospitality, but also had a couple of Bible classes in the public schools because at that time, uh, and still now, uh, religion was a part of their educational system. So I was able to go in with CEF material, and we taught taught uh, the children Bible. In 1990, we came back from the field. Our kids entered high school, and um, right now, from then, we became mission mobilizers or recruiters. And we learned to listen to a different language, not the language of the Caribbean, but the language of young people, the language of American teenagers, which was just a completely different language for us. Um, But it was such a blessing because the younger generation, they're great kids. They have a lot to offer. And the Lord has placed in their lap the job to reach the nations around them and around the area that they see on their phones, on their iPads, on their computers. They know so much more than we did at that age. One of the things in doing that, in listening to the next generation, is that Jerry, because of being a tech person, enjoyed being at Lancaster Bible College and was able to plug in with the kids here because he had a problem with his computer, with his phone. The kids just loved to help him. They loved to help especially old people, right? <laughs> and and he, pl- he plugged in with them, and they were able to talk, and they went from one level to the next to the next. One of the people that we met at LBC is Becky Weinhold. Becky's sitting in the back. Becky went to China with our mission. She spent five years there. She's one of our heroes. She learned not one language but two. She lived with other people that were different than her, that looked different than her, that ate different than her. She ended up having food allergies when she was there. That's not fun in a different culture. But the Lord helped her and used her. And right now she's sharing the love of Jesus in a different way, but still in the same same area. So thank you so much. We'll turn the program over to Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Thank you, and hi, hi, Becky, back there. <laughs> I know you're informal here, so you'll let me do that. 
um, such a blessing uh, and such an impact uh, Becky had in China as a disciple maker. I want to say before I go any further how much I appreciate Pastor Todd. Since he's not here, I can brag on him a bit. And I could also, I could tell some stories, too, but maybe I won't go too far. <laughs> you want the stories. Um, we, I think we've been meeting together for about four years now. That time is fun when you're having flies or something like that. And he insists on meeting at, um, at Chick, oh, Chili, Chili's. And I'm getting tired of it. I'm going to suggest something else sometime. But anyway, he loves chilies. So that's where we meet. And um, I really appreciate uh, his shepherd's heart. I've met with a lot of pastors over the years. And I've eaten a lot of lunches, as you can tell. Um, And I don't know that very few people that I have met, pastors, have the kind of shepherd's heart that he has, who really cares about his people. And I think you know that, you've probably seen that, but I just, uh, I'm thankful for that and how much he cares about you, how much he brags about you when he's with me. And I also thank you for the way you're taking care of him. Pastors are an endangered species. Especially these last few years, there have been pastors right and left checking out and leaving the ministry. COVID has really impacted all of our lives, and there's levels of stress that that has brought. My son's a pastor. I know what, what it's been like, and it's been difficult. And setting protocols and all that does not always meet with everyone's approval. But it was a difficult journey to navigate, and pastors have to make some decisions. And so um, I'm thankful that he did that with a heart for you and that you have supported him and loved him well. And some of that is the fact you've given him some time off to be refreshed, to be reset, and to be ready to come back with new energy and new vigor. So I just wanted to say that I, I really appreciate him so much. I get so much from our meetings. Uh, he ministers to me so much. and. We share resources and that kind of thing. Well, our part in the harvest, we're all called to the harvest, actually. We're all called to be field workers um, in God's great ministry of reaching the world. And your part would be different than my part. Um, We can't all do the same part or other parts wouldn't get done, right? And so our part has been... Uh, involved, as Vivian said early on, in church planning and Bible Institute teaching in the West Indies. When we came back in 1990, I was asked to be a mobilizer in the Middle Atlantic area, and that began a whole different um, kind of ministry for me, and uh, very challenging at first, because we came back to a whole different culture than what we left. With the Gen Xers at that time, who had very different values, uh, very different uh, approaches to being, being um, stimulated or challenged to ministries. So part of that then was campus mobilization that we got involved in and different campuses. A lot of that meant 
again, eating lunches, <laughs> going in the dining room and sitting with students and, and talking with them and finding out what their heart is attached to, what motivates them. Why are you at Bible college? Why are you at a Christian college? And how does God plan fit into your life at this point? And it's just been some great dis- uh, conversations, great discoveries, and then opportunities to track with some students and help them nudge them toward cross-cultural ministry. And then classroom teaching, I've been asked to do that some. And then church conferences uh, we've been involved in. And then individual mentoring. I believe that's the most uh, productive thing that um, I've seen happen and and I've been able to be part of is one-on-one mentoring. I found out that this generation, when we came home, that generation and future ones are looking for that. And and surprisingly, they like old people. They want to know how you know that Jesus works, how you know that this whole thing is really real. Um, And it's just amazing. And and the joy that I get from hearing their stories and seeing their interest and feeling productive myself and having some purpose as an older, older person. Um, getting older. By the way, I was going to say to my friends out here, Larry Buffenmeyer and, and Dale Mort, that I found something that's helpful that I used this morning. I have this new GPS that not only gets you where you want to go, but then once you get there, it tells you why you're there. <laughs> it is so helpful. So I thought you'd, you would be helped by that because... We are gaining, and anyway, uh, I, I had to put that in, sorry. Um, so, so we need all the help we can get. Um, another thing we do is uh, represent opportunities and internships for students to the least reached areas of the world. Our focus is reaching those countries, over 71 now, which are closed to uh, Christian workers. You can't get in with a religious visa. Um, and God is not closed to wanting to reach them. God has not decided that's we're not going to go there. But there's some creative ways that we can get into those countries. And an exciting part is that it mobilizes the rest of the body of Christ that didn't see themselves as having a part in global ministry. And so some of the... Um, The uh, other organizations that we work with that help us as a launch ramp, as it were, is um, uh, it's Cafe uh, 1040, which has to do with the 1040 window you've heard about. And we have uh, internship opportunities in countries that are closed and seasoned missionaries can mentor young people or even older people who want to get involved in that kind of ministry. Uh, for a year, for three months to a year program. So that's a great on-ramp to getting connected and, and to get involved. And also we work with disciple makers. Uh, we have a close relationship with them. And so other things that we do, we were able, since the, Bi- the Bible Institute in Barbados closed after we left, and this, the Southern Baptist uh, Bible College also left. There's nothing in Barbados for training for young people going into the ministry, into the pastorate. So 
we've been going back a few times to teach different subjects to those interested in moving toward leadership in the church and even pastoring. Now, COVID put a a stop to that for a while, and so we're hoping to re-engage next year, Lord willing. Uh, We'll see what the Lord opens up there for that. Uh, The last time we were there, I taught uh, um, the doctrine, uh, Bible doctrine, and Vivian taught the book of Ruth. Also, uh, currently we are serving one another in encouraging other cross-world workers in our area, hospitality to students. Um, we like to have them in our home, or we, we take them stuff at school, uh, care packages and things which they really like. Um, and then we host cross-world events for networking. We've done that in our home where... Those who are um, interested in cross-cultural ministry, students that may be in different schools across our state even or in, in neighboring states will come together, and it's a great way to network with each other, encourage one another. Because often some of these people are in churches where they're the only one that feels directed toward cross-cultural ministry, and they don't get the, the kind of encouragement they get when they're together with other uh, young people of like mind. So that's a wonderful opportunity for encouragement for them. Um, and so that happens once it's coming up in a couple of weeks. We're having another one. Uh, and we serve our home church. Um, I felt that since our church has been behind us for 50 years and we're home, we need to give back to our home church. And so six years ago, I started working with a recovery ministry in the church. And it's been an amazing experience to see God work in some powerful ways in the lives of those in addiction. And then Vivian has been teaching five-year-olds, which is way above my pay grade. <laughs> they, they control me. I have no ability with five-year-olds. But she's been doing that for like 13 years or so. So uh, that's, that's how we're involved with our home church. And we're celebrating the fact that God's calling People today, even in the hard, going to the hard countries, because of God's heart for the nations, he's, he's developing uh, hearts, uh, developing the hearts of young people and some older people, even retired people, to go to these hard places and live out the love of Jesus in those places. Crossworld's uh, statement of vision is Crossworld is a global mission agency a formative community of disciple-makers from all professions bringing God's love to life in the world's least-reached marketplaces. That's, that's what currently our vision statement is. It, it goes through revisions periodically. But the idea is to, you know, it's not rocket science. We're called to live, to love Jesus, first of all, and then to live like him, and then to help others to know Jesus, to love him, and to live like him. That's what disciple-making is. And we all have that opportunity and calling wherever we are in our, in our lives. I, I, knew, I knew this would happen, that I couldn't read this from a distance, so fortunately I printed this out. A friend of ours who was a missionary for eight years, he and his family in India, and then their visa was canceled, they couldn't go back to India, are now in Toronto working with Sikhs and Muslims in a, 
in a community of Sikhs and Muslims. They're the only non-people like that, the only evangelical people living in that community. And it was quite an interesting thing at first because people just saw them as such an oddity and wondered, why are you here? But they have gained uh, inroads into the lives of many people there over a period of time. And he said this, wherever you may find yourself, whatever you may do in life, for my friends around the world who love and follow Jesus, I pray my words encourage you. There is no greater privilege or joy or adventure than to be involved in what God is doing in seeking to rescue those he has created. God chooses to use his people, his church, to bring the good news and everything that accompanies that. The great commandment and the great commission are the two great invitations for believers to join God and his administration on earth. To lose sight of this is to miss out on one of God's greatest gifts. And remember, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's quite a calling, isn't it? And that's quite a a challenge, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. Um, And many times uh, we kind of separate the fact, you know, of our mind and our heart. We can love God with our heart, but is it okay to train our mind even uh, to be involved in, in disciplines even in the world? But God wants control of all of that. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm, that could be a tough one. Um, but it, that's, that's the only way you can do that if you obey the first part of that verse, to love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Because it's his love born in you and developed in you and coming from you that enables you to love the unlovely. Even to love yourself and working with recovering addicts, that's a very difficult thing. They don't love themselves, let alone anyone else. They have so much pain, so much trauma in their lives. And when they come to the point of understanding how much God loves them and that we're to love others, and they begin to come to that point where because they realize God's love for them, they can become a giver rather than a taker. And they can find healing and begin to restore relationships that they've had in the, broken in their lives. So um, it's, it's the whole joy of finding what 1 John 3, 1 really means in your life. Recently, I've been studying the background of the book and teaching some of that in my Sunday morning class. And John is talking about the doctrine of the gospel in the first two chapters of of the book of 1 John. But in chapter 3, verse 1, he explodes. There's a breakthrough of enormous joy when he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Did you ever ponder that? Don't get... Don't ever get over the wonder of it all. 
that God loves you and calls you to be his son. I know when, um, when we have our meetings and our recovery meetings, people introduce themselves, I'm so-and-so and I'm an addict. And then if they've come to Christ, they begin to transform that and I'm a child of God. And I struggle with addiction, but I'm a child of God. And that's, that's an identity that gets you the right perspective in your life. And when God makes you a child, he never abandons you. You're always a child. Just rejoice in that. And that'll help you want to share that, too, if you really grasp that. I preach too much. Therefore, now we have the great commandment. Now we have the great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So there's two things there. We're to make disciples, and that sounds um, so prescriptive, doesn't it? And it sounds like you have to know deep theology. You have to have degrees in theology, or you... You just have to know so much about the Bible. And all that it means, really, is to share your story with others, to, share, to love other people to Jesus. The first person I led to Christ was on board ship in the Navy only a few months after I got saved. I had no idea how to explain the gospel. But someone was coming to me and asking me why I was different. And I didn't even know I was that different. And I said, well, I just gave him my story. This is what God did for me. You know, when people, you know, Peter talks about be ready always to give a reason for the hope that's within you. It doesn't say a treatise on soteriology. It just means your story often, what God has done for you. And, uh, that, and by the time I was off the ship, there were five believers aboard ship. A disciple is one who is learning to live in love like Jesus and helps others do the same. You see the theme I have here this morning. A disciple of Jesus has three distinguishing marks. Uh, we're to love, according to John thirteen thirty four. So now I am giving you a new commandment: love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Another characteristic is obedience. Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then self-sacrifice in John 15, 13. There is no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. A Christian, a true believer, lives a sacrificial life. The world will take note of that. That's powerful. And that was what was seen in the early church, wasn't it? Behold how they love one another. The mark of the early church was their love and sacrificial works expressed out into the community. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Disciple-making is helping people everywhere to live in love like Jesus by imparting God's truth through authentic relationships wherever life happens. Uh, The mark of a disciple is to live in love like Jesus. The task of a disciple is to help others live and love like Jesus. The content of disciple-making is God's truth. That's all that can change the heart, is the truth of God. And then 
the context of, the, of disciple making is authentic relationships. I know when I came, first came home, they, uh, the, the Gen X generation had their hypocrisy detectors at full alert. If you were not authentic, they were out of here. You know, if you didn't seem to care about them, uh, they're not going to as likely share and, and embrace the truth that you share. So, and then the method. Okay, that's we'll, we'll go on here. Unleashing the power of real disciples, uh, making Jesus didn't tell his original followers to go and share the gospel with all nations, nor did he tell them to plant churches among all nations. That's a good thing. But first of all, he told them to do something far more powerful. He told them to go make disciples of all nations, disciples who would be taught to obey everything he had commanded, which would include the very thing he had just commanded, to go and make more disciples. That's what we're sharing. And then unleashing the power of all believers. Um, This is where the difference comes. So often... Um, we live in a, in a dichotomy where we have the sacred and the secular. And I think we do that, all I do that in our lives. What we do on Sunday is so different than what we do on Monday. And we feel, well, Sunday's the day we do our spiritual stuff. That's when we do our worship. That's when we do our Bible, hearing the Bible preached, and we have our lives challenged. And um, what 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 is being presented here and it's part of a book that our uh, president has written called A Better Way is that we need to see things uh, more holistically and there's what he calls a nine to five window that we are to be mobilizing believers, making disciples in every profession that, that we get involved in rather than leaving it to clerical George to do it, you know, the pastor. What is the pastor's job? Is he the one that's supposed to do all the soul winning, all the disciple making? According to Ephesians, he's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You're the workers in the ministry. He is as well, but he has a unique uh, position to train you and disciple you to do the work of the ministry. Otherwise, it's very limited. So if you go to work on Monday morning for any other reason than your pastor goes to work, then someone's going to work for the wrong reason. We need to realize that our workplace is our place of worship. In fact, the very word work and worship are the same word in the Hebrew. I I looked it up. I want to prove that. Um... And the word is, it's coming. Okay, give me a, there, it's avoda, avoda. And it's the same, means work and worship. I may not pronounce that right. Um, But that's interesting, isn't it? Your work is worship. Do you ever think of it that way? We worship God through our work, and it's a gift of God to give us work. So... We need to see the world through the 9 to 5 window. Do you see what that is? Wherever you're at 9 to 5, that's your calling, too. And your neighborhood is your calling. Where to be. And, and the workplace is the most strategic place of ministry for most Christ followers. It is where the hurting, the needy, and the lost are. 
for the vast majority of people, it is their main community of relationships. That's where you see people on a regular basis. And have you intentionally sought God to enable you to have gospel conversations, to live a gospel-shaped life wherever you are? But that comes from backing up to loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to beginning each day with say, God, I'm yours. Give me opportunities. And it's not difficult when God totally leads in your life. He'll bring opportunities to you. There's always people that are hurting and in need of the gospel. Uh, This is a short video uh, describing that whole idea of, of work as worship. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, Work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. Okay, we just have a few minutes, so don't get scared. I'm not going to go too much longer. But um, the better way that our organization has been uh, challenging us on is is not to say the old way we did things in regards to missions um, is obsolete. But we live in a world where 
traditional missionary effort in foreign countries is becoming less and less of an option because of, uh, of restrictions on getting into countries, as we said before. So the old way was um, into invitational and proclamational model of evangelism. And Billy Graham himself said before he died, when he was asked, who do you think is the next great evangelist to come upon the scene to do mass evangelism? And he said, I don't see that happening. I see the workplace as the next great theater of evangelism, the next great arena of evangelism. So the, rather than proclamation, then, the better way is an incarnational um, evangelism where we live and work and become the hands and feet of Jesus in the context of the community that we're in. Um, there's a young man up in Canada who started a ministry called Move In. He's 22 years of age, and he had this vision to challenge people in upper or middle-class neighborhoods and suburbs of cities to move into the city but still have their job outside the city, but to become the hands and the feet of Jesus in the, in the, in the city. And then the church can provide needs like furniture and food and that kind of thing through individuals that live in the city. We're not just throwing stuff in the city and then leaving again, but they actually become the incarnation of Christ within the city. And I think that's the concept that, that really is what made the New Testament church explode because people in, in community having the same issues they dealt with we're reaching out with the love of Christ and ministering to people. So the, the incarnational method, rather than just the proclamational, you can, you know, I've used the four spiritual laws and that sort of thing, and I've done evangelism explosion and from our church, and I always found that gradually very difficult because you're meeting people you've never met before, and we were told, don't you let them get you off the subject. You... You drill this into them so they have the gospel. And one pastor that I, where I went to church at one time, he said, you put your foot in the door, and if they don't want to hear what you have to say, you put your foot in the door, and then you pray it into them, and they'll listen. You know, that's abusive. And I regret some of the things that had no, had no results. But it's incarnational, and we especially live in a day and age when People need to know that you care about them. You need, you need the authenticity of the gospel to be part of that platform of presentation. So that's the better way, as incarnational. Um, I'm not going to show this video, but it's about one a missionary in China who um, started a business um, quickly. I hope I can say this quickly. Uh, in China, uh, for the under-resourced people, handicapped people, those who were beggars on the street, he'd bring them in, give them a job, and love on them. And they just responded so wonderfully to that and became very good workers. And at one time they had about 18 employees. Nine of them came to faith in Christ. They had a boss who cared about them and provided for them and gave them work. And so it's a wonderful thing. Um, not too many bosses in China apparently have that kind of uh, a relationship with their employees. Uh, there's, so what if, what if um, we decided that this life with all its pleasures can't hold a candle to the joys of eternity? 
What if we lived as though we'd already died to this life? What if we no longer live with this world in view, but rather the world to come? What if we truly believe that the souls of men are worth the martyr's blood? Would we live as though we have nothing to lose? Would we refuse to let the world's comforts distract us from his mission? Would we see discouragement, conflict, and fear as hurdles to overcome instead of excuses to quit? Would, would we approach Jesus' mandate with resolve to go no matter what it costs, refuse to let the fear of suffering lessen our resolve to advance the gospel against all odds? Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecution. Oops, why did he put that in there? Yeah, you will. You will experience persecutions, but you're identifying with Christ who saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. And in the age to come, eternal life, the, the huge benefits of serving God and, and following him. I just want to finish with this video, and it's a couple stories. These are three stories, and it's a short video, two minutes and something, of three people that have been reached by field workers with Crossworld and to see what God can do with people that are just willing to go and live and love like Jesus in the unreached areas. As followers have pursued one mission, a great mission, to make disciples of all nations. Unfortunately, the number of people who don't know Christ grows daily. Today, more than three billion people are gospel-deprived. They have little or no access to the Bible. Most have never even met a Christian. That's three billion people to whom the name of Jesus is meaningless. But just how many is three billion? Consider this. A million seconds is about a week and a half. A billion seconds? 32 years. Each one of these individuals has a story. Each one is loved by the God they've never even met. Meet Mateen. He's never had ethical pay for his work, ever. But his new boss says he's motivated by his faith in God to do business honorably. Not only does Mateen get paid for his work now, he can tell his boss cares about him. Meet Sori. She's the only believer in her family. They offer her a fortune to denounce her faith. But thanks to a fellow teacher who taught her about Jesus, she knows she's not alone. She can refuse her family's bribe because she now knows Jesus is better. Meet Luca. Political violence forced his family to flee their home. The emotional trauma left him with seizures and the label demon-possessed. Then he met a refugee worker who helped him heal with art therapy and showed him what it means to be unconditionally loved. These aren't hypotheticals. These are real stories of people who are among the least reached. But now they're reached because Christ followers chose to go where few have gone, to live and love like Jesus among them. These disciple makers are people just like you. They saw that God created them for a purpose. So they moved to a place where their profession and passion would benefit the community and allow them to introduce people to Jesus for the first time. Crossworld is a formative community for these disciple makers and for others just like them. People who believe we're meant to live on mission with God in everything we do, bringing redemption, restoration, and renewal to our world. 
you can make a difference among the least reached too. But you'll face big obstacles along the way. Crossworld will help you overcome challenges like language learning, family adjustments, and financial stability, all while equipping you to follow Jesus and help others do the same. While three billion is more than any one person can fathom, it's not too big for Jesus. Mateen, Sori, and Luca's lives are being transformed. Who else is just waiting to hear the good news? Join Crossworld and let's flood the nations with life together. Sorry, I came up a little too soon there. Um, I want to be so conscious of the time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing us to share this morning. And thank you for the opportunity to um, be a representative of this church for so many years and for your faithful support um, in prayer, concern, and financially. Um, I pray that in some way you may be challenged to ask yourself this morning, do I need a bit of a reset or a course correction in my life to make this thing work better for Jesus? To be a disciple maker, to be ready always to give a reason for the hope that's within me. I'm sure within the the, uh, arena of our influence, there are people that need to know Christ. And our families, which are sometimes the hardest, aren't they? But as we seek God with all of our heart and love him with all of our heart, we begin to love in a deeper way and to look for opportunities to share the gospel and to see how you can become a disciple maker in your world of influence. And there are still so many to reach. Thank you very much for for your time.